I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Andy McQuaid. Andy is the creator of the TCO Method. Uh, he's been working with real estate developers, owners, and operators um, since 1997, and has been vo- involved in just about every type of project. Um, first, Andy, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today, taking the time out here on a on a Friday afternoon. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. I'm honored to uh, uh, to have been asked. It's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, awesome. I love your show. So awesome, awesome. I appreciate that. Let's. Um, Let's just start with, I want, I want you to tell people your story, your background, you know, we'll kind of, we'll definitely get into the TCO method and, and um, how that all works, but, but just give us a little bit about you and, you know, sort of where you started. Sure. Um, so let's see, I started working in the industry on the building material supply side uh, 26 years ago at 17 years old, started driving a forklift at 84 lumber and sort of got hooked on the industry. Uh, I never got to drive um, a forklift. I worked in construction so much and never got to drive a oh, forklift. Yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it was a blast. It, especially before it was like legal in New York, you have to be 18. At least at that time you did. I don't know what it is now, but had no training or anything. It was like, here, <laughs> go do this. Like, All right, let's go. <laughs> and uh, so I did that like the very tail end of my senior year of high school, worked through the summer, went to college. They called me or like, Hey, can you come in and work weekends? Sure. I'll come in. I'll do some weekends, whatever. And then, uh, after a couple of years of doing that, working summers and taking the, the school year off, uh, they were like, Hey, we want you to be an assistant manager starting in three months. So if you'd like to withdraw from college and take a full-time job with us, we'd really appreciate it. Okay, I'm 20, or I'm not, I think I was 19 at the time. I'm like, all right, sure, let's go. So, uh, yeah, I was going to a business school in Syracuse, uh, taking business administration, marketing, management courses. I'm like, all right, let's go, let's do it. So uh, I withdrew. Uh, three months later, I w- I went full time. Three months later, I was an assistant manager at another store from the one I was working in, and then. Three months after, eight months after that, I was back at the original store where I started um, because of some unfortunate circumstances. And then uh, about a year after that, I was a store manager. So I was a store manager working full time running my own box, complete entrepreneurial control at like 21 years old. It was it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. (laughs) Not a bad start to your career. (laughs) It was okay. I can't, I can't really complain. And I did that. I worked for that company for almost 11 years, um, bounced around a little bit, ran my store for about a year, year and a half, uh, went and ran an outside sales team that did more volume than my store doubled, uh, (laughs) in another city. Um, dragged my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, and mother of my child (laughs) with me. And uh, the rest is sort of history. I got a call uh, about five years after that that I was getting headhunted by 
the Home Depot to come in as a district manager over pro as part of their pro realignment effort from Frank Blake in 2007. Um, so they brought me in at the district level in Rochester, and uh, that's where I cut my teeth in multifamily and real estate investing and all the other stuff. Got my exposure to um, all the fun that's involved in commercial real estate that doesn't actually involve new construction, <laughs> and uh, and kind of went from there. So um, did that for 11 years, ended up with uh, 18 stores across two districts by the time I was done, and um, went to run an outside sales operation for a year with a really big, uh, fancy uh, reclaimed wood manufacturer that was putting stuff into Facebook and Amazon and Mod Pizza and Shake Shacks, you name it. If it had reclaimed wood in it, it was probably some of our stuff. Uh, so I did that for a year and then got a call from one of my old customers from Home Depot that worked at a really large uh, property management firm that did some low-income housing and workforce housing. They had 20,000 doors at the time. A half-hour coffee turned into a three-hour-long conversation that ended in, why, why aren't you doing this full-time? It's like, okay. So two weeks after that, I filed an LLC. Two weeks after that, I had all my legal documents and insurance in place. And 30 days later, I gave my two weeks and I've been doing this ever since. So that's what I do now is I help people make more money in real estate, which is kind of fun. So kind of fun for you, but probably more fun for those people that you're helping them make the money. Um, I, I want to sort of ask you, you know, sort of more about we'll we'll talk about sort of what when you started to do it full time, but but also how that ties into your experiences. But the first thing I want to point out to people kind of listening that struck me from your story is you said yes. You said yes yeah. to these opportunities. You said yes to, you know, kind of, it didn't sit around thinking, well, what if, what if, what if this doesn't, you know, what, what if this, what, what if I leave college and and take this job? Like that's, that's, you know, like people, people tend to hold themselves back from opportunities by thinking of worst case scenario instead of best case scenario. And I think a lot of times just, just saying yes, especially when you're young, like just give it a shot. Like what, what's the worst that could happen? Like you go back to college, like that's not, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Right. Like that's an okay outcome. So it's just kind of um, something that resonated with me. Just like it, it really almost kind of all those levels, even the, even the, um, you know, the three hour, the three hour coffee that turned into starting your own business. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of good that comes from just kind of taking that chance and, and being, uh, being willing, open to opportunities. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 uh, I, I'm blessed in the career path I chose. Um, really, the lumberyard thing was not even on my radar. I just happened to fill out an application there. And uh, this guy, Chris Martin, called me and was like, hey, you like turning a wrench? I'm like, yeah, you know, I work, work on cars and do whatever. He's like, well, come in and have an interview. We'll, we'll sit down and whatever. And he hired me. And if it wasn't for the mentors that I had and, and the good leaders I had that, that really kind of showed me the ropes and, and taught me, you know, gave me some good work ethic and set a good example, I wouldn't be doing this now. There's no way. And then, you know, I, I, I kind of thank some of the bad bosses I had for pushing me in this direction. So, you know, not every, not every career in corporate America goes well. Uh, so there was definitely some rocky points in my career where certain people didn't really like how I did things. And 
honestly, dropping out of college is probably the best thing I could have done because I was a terrible student. Like I was undiagnosed. I have ADHD, wasn't diagnosed, still technically not found out that my son has it because of me. And then everything for my entire school career made perfect sense. It all just dropped into place. I was like, oh my God, this is me. What is going on? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> now that I've been able to shadows. kind of put two and two together, like there's all this perspective that I have now that I didn't have then. So like risk-taking, saying yes to things, just thriving for the next big thing. And, you know, when are you going to make me a store manager? When are you going to make me a store manager? When am I getting my own store? When are we doing this? When are we doing that? Like that was... That was me, but that was ADHD, right? So I had no idea at the time. I was like, whatever, ADHD is not real. It doesn't freaking exist. It's bullcrap. Yeah. No, 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 actually, it's real. Yep. yep. Prove it they're, now. They're like tiny little mirrors, tiny little. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. See, see the very much uh, find out a lot about yourself by, by watching what your kids do. You're like, oh, where did they get that? You're like, oh, that's me. That's what my absolutely. wife and I do that all the time to each other. It's like, they'd be like, did you hear what she said? And, and I'm like, I don't know where, or like my son, like, did you hear what my, what our son said? And this happened, like, this is a real story. And I forget even what it was. And I was like, he must've gotten that at daycare. And my wife just bust out laughing. She's like, no, that's me. Like, that's straight up me. And I was like, okay, okay, good, good. Well, uh, it, oh, looks, yeah. it looks like they're just becoming us. So yep. <laughs> certainly a, a, a part of um, raising kids. But um, when you, so- the, the conversation so I, I think this is a, a, a thing that again along that theme of saying yes you know you took that the coffee um that turned into you know a long a long lunch and then you started your own business what happened what happened in that meeting like what kind of came out, out of that 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 made you sort of inspired you to take that leap so i had never really lost touch with my customers like i shifted when I shifted from 84 Lumber to Home Depot, like Home Depot was really, really bad at new construction um, as far as like deliveries and service and consistency yeah. and quality of product. Just, you know, we just couldn't couldn't play in that in that arena compared to the mom and pops and 84 Lumbers of the world. It just wasn't a thing. So when I left Depot to go to this other company, um, I still talked to people because they would call me to be like, hey, what do I do here? What do I do there? And I'd only been gone for like a year, so it wasn't a big deal. He called me um, because he had just taken over the procurement and risk management uh, for the entire company. So all of the procurement functions for every, from everything from every contract they sign for like dumb stuff like lot and grounds and snow plowing and, and landscaping to everything, every single relationship with 84 Lumber, Home Depot, Lowe's, HD Supply, Wilmar, you name it. That was everything that that involved money changing hands outside of payroll and employees ended up on his desk. So he called me because he knew I knew everything that they bought as far as their supply chain through Home Depot and HD supply because I handled his account for their several hundred properties for probably four or five years before I left. That was that was the majority of what I was doing when I was at Depot is I had really big, I actually had the biggest multi-family property management portfolio in the country. I had like 35 or 40 customers, but I did about 20 to 22 million a year just with those 40 companies in 17 different states. So I was on planes every three weeks. I was dealing with all their headaches. I, they would buy a property in South Carolina. I would get on a plane, find them a store that was 
actually capable of handling the business, do the intros, set up the programs, make sure their people had all the all the stuff they needed to place their orders and communicate and come back. So for him, he was reaching out because he just took this role and just wanted to learn. And it went from a half hour coffee to a three hour conversation where, where he's basically like, well, where would you start if you were me? And then I just ran off at the mouth for three hours about how I would look at the contracts and where I would find the product and what stuff I would look at specifically to make sure the pricing was right. And then, you know, you've got these rebate deals with these vendors. You need to make sure you hit the goals that are in the contract. You're not going to get your rebates in six months or a year. Like you got to make sure that you hit this milestone and this milestone you're communicating to that. And it just, it just was a time suck, but it was a great conversation. And he's like, you should just do this full time. Like, okay, I guess I should. Yeah. I guess yeah. I should. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely needed. Um, well, the, the TCO method, um, I I know what it is because you told me when we talked the other day, but will you define that for people and then kind of get sure. in a little bit to, um, you know, what your, what your philosophy is, what, what you're, what you're trying to do there? Yeah, absolutely. So the TCO method, TCO has been around for a really long time. It's not really used a lot in real estate because it's, it's very hard to quantify, but it stands for total cost of ownership. And it looks at pretty much every input and output that impacts your NOI. And in some cases, the money you get to keep as well, um, you know, after your, your debt service and, and all of your cash flow is, is degraded by all those fun things that aren't actually included in your NOI. And um, it's kind of a top-down, all-in approach that looks at the what you're buying, who you're buying from, how you operate your maintenance, how you make your decisions. And the whole, the whole purpose of it is to get investors and I, and I it's it's really built for buy and hold uh and value add investors it's it's built for people who are looking to get into a property and really just max out the cash flow without deferring maintenance without cutting headcount like without cutting corners like do it right and try to see that that long term long scope payoff so it kind of takes the entire decision making process for all the all the stuff involved in operating your properties and it reframes it into what's going to be my total cost of ownership for this. And it's not specific to just the property. It's, well, what's my total cost of ownership for this toilet or, you know, this particular fixture or this type of flooring versus that type of flooring, or, you know, what's my total cost of ownership of the parking lots and grounds on this property that are completely destroyed when I bought this? Um, what am I going to have to spend to fix it? And then how do I maintain it to make sure I'm not back here in five years or 10 years, depending on where you are? Because, you know, if you're up in the Northeast and you get snow and you put salt on those things, if you don't take care of them, you're going to be right back repaving, spending 200 grand, 300 grand every five years, which is crazy, but it's your curb appeal. And yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but I mean, you can get super granular with it, but the point isn't to, to reach that solid number of, oh, I'm going to buy this prop, this property for this. I'm going to spend this and then I'm going to have all these inputs and all this labor and all these, all this maintenance. And I'm going to budget this and this and this, and this property is going to cost me this by the end of the time I'm owning it. And then I'm going to dispose of it. No, that's not really the point to come up with that total number that the point is to max out your net operating income by making smarter decisions at the beginning, as opposed to just putting a bandaid on something you're going to put something in there that maybe will pay you back over time instead of just using the same thing and having the same problems two or three years from now. So 
over time, what we see is almost everything that I recommend they do in the program, even if they have to buy software to support it, even if they have to change, do some change management to their processes and stuff internally, almost everything I recommend they do pays for itself within three to five years. And if you're looking at, you know, the useful life of that space, whether it's commercial, residential, doesn't matter, honestly. If you're looking at the useful life of the space, five, seven, 10 years, if you can delay an upgrade or an improvement because everything's still working and still in really good condition despite tenants and despite all the, the issues that go with it after seven or 10 years and you can just cash flow off your last capital expenditure, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the goal is to take that, you know, 50 to 54% and maybe bring it down a little bit, but do it without cutting corners like deferred maintenance, getting rid of headcount, ignoring problems, cheaping out on repairs. Like it's, it's not those models. I, I, I cringe when I see people who are like, I operate my property at 30%. Well, you're a unicorn. Okay. And I operate at 40. We operate all our properties at 40. Well, cool, because you're creating opportunities for my value add investors later when you've deferred so much maintenance on those things that you need to sell it below market just to get somebody to take it off your hands. So, yeah. um, you know, there's two sides to every story, but I don't generally go in and do anything with anybody who's doing the 30 or 40% models who's bragging about how little they're spending on their property because in the long term, deferred maintenance always costs you two or three or five times more than what it would have cost you had you just fixed it when it broke. Yeah, no. uh, agree 100%. When do you, so when do you propose that people come to you to sort of formulate this plan? Like, is it at purchase during due diligence? Is it during ownership kind of any time? Like, like what do you think is ideal in terms of sort of coming up with these strategies? So the biggest bang for your buck is, is during due diligence before you close on a property and start reno. If you already own a property and you're going to do a reno, also a really good time to do it. But the process is really like three parts. It's, it's some of the reno and rehab because that's where you're already going to spend the money. So if you spend just a little bit more, but then that pays for the extra you spent plus whatever it was over time, that's a good deal. Mm -hmm. Um, but from a functional standpoint, there's stuff we look at that has nothing to do with products. Like my background in building materials, I can play the game because I've been that, that was my world for 20 something years was the supply side. So I know how all, how they sign their contracts with manufacturers. I know the issues with all the products they sell, what their competitors sell. I know how they pay their people and salespeople. I know how they negotiate their deals. I know all their margins on the backside of how much money they make per each product. I know how much margin they need to make to keep the doors open and the lights on so I can negotiate from kind of that equal level and not just have them blow smoke, um, which is kind of a nice advantage to have. So I get involved a lot in the, in the, like the purchasing and the negotiation and the contracting and the vendor relationship side, because that's where you can see immediate impacts. Like all the other stuff from construction takes time to pay for itself. It's it's not immediate, but if you go and you negotiate better pricing on product and rebates and service levels that save money, well, all of a sudden then, well, there's your immediate payback, right? And then the stuff in construction, 
yeah, you can get a discount on it, which is fine. Most people try to go get a discount. Are they getting a real one? Are they getting one that's, you know, they're just told they're getting? Like, I don't know. I know a lot of people who say they get 35% off on paint, but it's still more expensive than what my customers are paying, right? So <laughs> it's, uh, you can, you can put a, a sticker on something and say, I'm getting 35% off. That doesn't actually mean it's the right price. So um, there's a bunch of parts. off something that was marked up 50%. Yeah. Correct. You got it. You got it. Or, or more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there, there's a lot to it. And then like, I don't do cost segregation, but I always say, have you done cost segregation? Are you planning on doing cost segregation? Yes or no. And it's got nothing to do with NOI. That's just what the money they keep. And right. it's the same thing when I, when I ask them, you know, have you done a tax assessment challenge? Are you going to do a tax assessment challenge? Is that something that is on your radar? And yes or no, I have a guy that I work with who has like a 93% success rate in New York state for doing tax assessment challenges. He won't touch a building worth less than a half a million bucks, but you know, it, it, it's better than just continuing to write checks to New York and right. getting no benefit from it. Right. right. So, um, you know, and he only takes money if he wins, but he works completely on contingency. So why, why wouldn't you, what do you have to risk? So it's, it's, that's also sort of a no brainer. Um, but then the stuff I get involved in, it's everything from all the, the contracting and pricing and review. I look at, you know, kind of midterm stuff, like what's your risk management look like? What's your, what's your compliance stuff? Are you where you need to be to avoid this and this and this? And those are sort of harder to quantify because you don't know if you're going to have a fire. You don't know if you're going to have a slip and fall. You don't know if you're going to have an angry tenant put their fist through a, a window or, or complain because, you know, a light fixture is burned out in the hallways. Like that's all stuff that you're going to have no matter what, especially in residential, especially if you're in, you know, B minus and C and D neighborhoods, it's just part of the business. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to lie down and take it. There's things you can do to work with your insurance company to make sure that when something like that happens, you can say, yeah, no, actually we have all these things over here set up. Um, so we know that's not actually the case. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a ton of parts to it and it's sort of, I took, since my entire background was um, kind of sales, but building materials sales, and I worked really closely with all these these C-level leaders and all these huge multifamily, you know, REITs and publicly traded and private. And, you know, I had one client that I worked with when I was at Home Depot that had 35,000 doors. I was in the office with the, the CEO and the CFO and the COO all the time having conversations about different stuff in Chicago and Texas and Florida and Pittsburgh and all across New York State. It just kind of went with the territory where they were teaching me the business. And that was the coolest part. That's why I love real estate so much is because everybody was really down to earth and open and honest and they weren't like hiding stuff. They weren't like, Oh, this is a trade secret. You can't, you can't take this. So most of my ideas I stole from my customers over the last 20 years, like all the stuff. Oh, you're having a problem with that. Well, why don't you try this? This guy tried, you know, this guy was having good luck doing this instead. Like all I did was take all the purchasing procurement know-how and knowledge and negotiation stuff and combine it with a couple of things that made sense to do that cut expenses over time. It wasn't, rocket science it's just i i see patterns i like strategy so i look at stuff kind of i like to take it apart and figure out how it goes and with all the support i had from people teaching me how they ran their businesses and why they made the decisions they they made and how they you know qualified and quantified their decision making process and what impact that had on their insurance and their you know how many times they got sued and 
all of their their operational stuff and this town wants us to do this and this city wants us to do that and we can't do that here because of xyz or this impacts this in this way it was just a question of taking all of that you know real estate asset management stuff and blending it together with all the procurement stuff and then it was honestly one of my customers um after i launched my business that gave me the idea to latch on to total cost of ownership because I mentioned it in a, a sales pitch to him. And he's like, and he was a buy and, buy and hold value add, right? Multifamily. That was his yeah. shtick still is. And he really like connected to total cost of ownership. He was like, oh crap, that's right. That's a really good point. And then he just started asking questions about how total cost of ownership tied into all these other things that I was talking about. And it turned, you know, and it was, you know, there's stuff in there about opportunity cost and how, you know, doing this and this can save money over time down the road. And, you know, putting this in doesn't just cut this utility and this sewer bill, but it also impacts, you know, and reduces maintenance, um, service calls to the, to the apartment because of, you know, this and this situation, you know, you can't use it here because of, of bad venting. So you got to upgrade to this size or whatever it was very technical. And, and half of my job as a sales guy was to be able to do the not technical stuff for the C-level people to say, this is how I'm going to save you money and reduce your maintenance. And, and you buy this for me and the world will be roses and butterflies. And then the technical side with the maintenance crews and the installers and the warranty stuff, if something went wrong, that was all on me. So like Home Depot was a nightmare as an employee, because they didn't want reps involved from any manufacturer anywhere. They wanted all that money to go to them and they made all the problems, our problems. <laughs> so I learned more about more things that went sideways on installs and manufacturing defects and um, just quality issues. If there were any, how to identify if something was installed correctly, like, Every complaint that we ever got that involved one of those big corporations that was spending X number of dollars from Home Depot, whether they were one of my multifamily people or not, was my headache. So I learned more technical crap than I ever imagined I would learn working for a store like that. And it wasn't because Home Depot was teaching it. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was, this was like calling the vendor on the phone and being like, tell me what the heck is going on because I have no idea. You need to teach me this because this is all Greek to me. And I was selling... Everything, everything, you name an interior thing, I probably sold it to somebody somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're in, in, in that regard, kind of a translator, right? If you've got to make the um, connections between the executives and then the, you know, sort of boots on the ground contractors, there's someone who can speak both languages, I think is really a, a, an important go between because it's, it, you know, a, I mean, I'm sure there are some executives that do understand construction, but there's a lot of them that that just don't 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 know what goes into it, and and so they're being able to kind of uh, talk to them about it, and then also you know understand what's going on at the level of the the contractors and the vendors is is huge, hugely valuable. Um, what's the process like if someone <laughs> wants to work with you and and sort of uh, use your you know the 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 TCO method, like, like how, how, walk us through kind of what, what they would do, how, how that obviously reach out to you, but like, what does it kind of look like for, um, you know, one of your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So most of the, the bigger projects, um, get in, get started like at the ground floor acquisition or pre-construction, 
uh, pre-renovation, whatever it is. Um, and I do some adaptive reuse stuff. So there's sometimes when I'll get a call and I'll walk an empty office with no walls and just pillars that it's wide open and it's like 300 feet wide by 150 feet deep. And it's just floor after floor of nothing. Um, but most of the time it's a, it's a, you know, phone call, email, text, if they've already worked with me, Hey, meet me here on this date. Um, I'll participate in a due diligence walk or, you know, rehab walks to kind of identify where opportunities are. And I don't do the typical due diligence stuff. Like I don't care about the numbers. That's somebody else's problem. I don't care about what their budgets are. I don't, I, I look for the things that I know are going to impact them over time. And so I advise them on that. But so usually there's like a discovery phase, whether it's that or an existing portfolio. So I do both. They both kind of start the same way with just boots on the ground, trying to figure out what's happening. So whether it's looking at their existing operation and who they're buying from and what they're buying and what their spec is, if there is one and kind of uh, how organized and coordinated their efforts are or completely chaotic and all over the place they are. I've seen everything from really good advanced yardy systems using, you know, Voyager 7 and full implementation of everything to here's some Excel spreadsheets, a QuickBooks report, and a box full of receipts. Like I've, I've done both. I, I really don't like the latter of those two options. Like I'm not a fan of Yardy. Yardy is such a pain in the butt to get information out of because everybody's setup is different and everybody uses it in a different way and nobody uses everything correctly or completely. So it's, kind of like pulling teeth at first, but I mean, that's a solid system. And there's dozens of other ones out there that I've seen and worked with and tried to get information out of, but there's always the discovery phase. And a lot of it comes down to, and in that part, I go through and I just make recommendations like, okay, so you're buying from like 47 different vendors. You've got no buying power anywhere. You need to figure that out. You've got all these operational processes for how you handle your maintenance calls and how you handle your capex and how you handle you know this process and that process do you have any idea what any of those cost you and usually they're like oh yeah well i pay them you know 25 dollars an hour blah 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 okay well that's what's their total comp and then they look at me like what's total comp and you know bigger corporations they know what i'm talking about mom and pop guys with, you know, who've been in it for 10 or 15 years or even 40 years, honestly, but if they're mom and pop operations with a few hundred doors, or maybe they manage up to, you know, six or 700, they're not into the process costing stuff. So my, like my corporate background with all of the improvement projects and pilot tests and all that other stuff that I had to go through on that side kind of taught me how to do a, a boots on the ground change management program to get people onboarded and figure out what everything costs so that we can actually see if it's worth doing or not down the road. Um, so we, we try to figure out what all their, their maintenance costs actually are, you know, like from taking the phone call to entering it in whatever system to the guys going to check it out, to not having the parts or having the parts going to the store or ordering it online, doing whatever they do, go back, install. Like we try to quantify all that stuff into a number. And then we try to find all the places where they're literally lighting money on fire, like just dumb, low hanging fruit. But the, the reality is that for a lot of these operators, they're so in the business and doing the same thing all the time. They're going from one fire to another. They don't see that they're lighting 
you know, $60,000 a year on fire in windshield time and um, just ordering from the wrong places and going back to, to check repairs three different times and not having this in stock, not buying in bulk. There's so many pieces to it. And I've never walked into two operations and seen the exact same issues. Like they all have pieces and parts and there's always patterns, but it's never the same thing on two properties, let alone two different portfolios. So it's pretty much everywhere. Um, and nobody's doing everything right. But nobody ever does. There's always opportunity. There's always room to improve. And I, I still learn stuff. I go places and I'm like, I've never seen this before. What is what is this? What are you doing? Why, why is that? Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's like it's saving them a ton of money. Other times it's like, this is adding so much time to your day. Is it actually paying for itself? Like, why are you doing this? But sometimes those questions don't need to be asked. So we start with that evaluation and then we turn it over to the owners and say, okay, here's everything that we see. What do you actually need help doing? Like, I will come in and I will help you figure this stuff out. I will help you negotiate. So then we go into like phase two, which is, actually breaking down and starting to either negotiate with vendors if that's what they want to do or getting involved in uh, helping them write specs so that they have some consistency between properties so that they can leverage some of that buying power and draw down the expense for for whatever it is they're doing whether it's maintenance whether it's capex whether it's a reno just creating systems that maybe they don't have or maybe that they once had and fell apart or maybe that they have but just need tweaking um but there's always some sort of operational synergy that can be built by just focusing on what that actual process costs because sometimes it costs you more to just put a band-aid on something and fix it as fast as possible for as cheap as possible as opposed to just taking a minute to go wait hold on you could just do this and spend this a little bit more or do this a little bit differently and you would immediately start to save. So there's an opportunity cost number that we inject and, and opportunity cost is not something that's used a lot in real estate unless you're talking about acquisitions and disposition. So I look at the opportunity cost on like processes, like what could your people be doing for you to help you earn more money, add to your NOI, manage this better than they're doing now, but because they're running around like chickens with their head cut off, putting fires out constantly, they don't have the capability to do that. So what is that effort costing you? Like if you're a small operator and you've got a leasing agent and office manager that also has to deal with the maintenance calls and headaches, you probably don't want to hire an extra body just to manage maintenance calls and headaches. So you're losing all of this functional time to fill units and you know do the books and help you make money that are being caused by extra extra headaches coming into the office because of you know maybe cheaping out on a product or hiring a cheap cheaper labor or just doing something incorrectly because you've been doing it that way for 40 years and it's just without question always the way you've done it um or just not looking at it but the problem is that in probably 90% of operations, people know what they're fed, what people bring them and tell them 
is what they understand and know because they're so busy doing stuff. They don't take the time to go outside the box to find new and better ways of doing business unless it's handed to them. So when people use the same vendors and the same products for 25 years, it's not because maybe they, they like it. They probably know about the issues, but they probably don't know that there's something better down the road because they don't have the time to go look for it. And in real estate, especially stuff changes hands so fast. Most of the salespeople out there are not aware of who owns what. So like if you have a, a traveling salesperson from one of the catalog companies like HD Supply, Wilmar or whatever, they're bouncing around talking to maintenance people who aren't decision makers. They are just salespeople. They probably have no idea actually of half the stuff that they're talking about or trying to sell. They just, they're told to show up and take orders and that's what they do. So there's never any type of, of collaboration. Um, so like modern procurement theory is a big part of the TCO method. So there's, there's no like vendor collaboration. There's no teamwork building. There's no innovation coming from the vendor saying, Hey, you guys are doing this. You should really be looking at products X, Y, and Z or service X, Y, because this is what it's going to do for you in the long run. This is the stuff you should be using. And this is, this is why, and here's the impact that doesn't happen. Like that's how I sold, but I also saw a lot of my competitors out there doing stuff and it was never that level of conversation, partially because I don't think they understood the business and partially because I don't think they cared. Um, and there were, there, you know, there was plenty of guys out there who were really good at what they did, but at the end of the day, you're being paid by your employer to sell what they tell you to sell. And that's what you do. I was sort of weird because I would walk in and say, yeah, I'm not selling that to you because it's crap. Buy it from this guy because ours is garbage. And I would piss my bosses off something fierce, <laughs> but I'm not going to sell you something that I have to fix the fires, put out the fires and, and do the headaches. I don't have that kind of time. So that was, that was kind of my shtick. So I approach it from that level for everybody. And because now I see so many sets of books and so many different operations and so many different products being used, I literally just steal ideas from my customers and give them to other customers. That's, that's half of it. It's, this is working really well here. Why aren't you using it? Right. So like 20 years ago when people were shifting off of sheet vinyl to luxury vinyl plank. And I mean, back then the luxury vinyl plank was not what it is today by any means. It was not great, but it was overall, it was cheaper than sheet vinyl. Right. So it was a conversion through, well, you know, you're throwing half of what you're buying away and then you're spending three times the labor to get it ready to actually install it correctly, or you're just not installing it correctly and you're going to replace it in a year. So why don't you just switch to this stuff? Laying on top, it goes in in one day or a couple hours. There's no waste, and your guys are in and out in three hours. Oh wait, so I'm going to save on labor. I'm going to save on this. I'm not going to have to replace it every year. You can drag appliances across it and tables and furniture, and it doesn't rip. Yes, all those things. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's do that. But if they wanted to buy the sheet vinyl, I'd be like, Yeah, no, I'm good. I don't want to sell that to you. Go buy it from Jerome Williams. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so and that's going to was... be. I mean, that's why customers stayed in touch with you. Right. It's like, I mean, that's, yeah. that's exactly it, right? You weren't, you weren't looking at it from a perspective of, I need to get this one sale. I need to, you know, make, make this, whatever it is, one, one commission check. It, it, it was more, you know, you're creating, you're, you're actually helping the clients creating a value and, and being, you know, sort of relational so that, that they come back to you and they, they sort of do it over and over again. Right. And that was, that was a lot of it. Um, the other thing was I didn't have really commission to worry about at Home Depot. It was a, a salaried role that bonused off of the performance of the company in the district. So 
for me, it was, I could go out and, and be a good advisor and be a, a partner to these companies. And I didn't have the, how am I going to put food on my table next week pressure? I had the, yeah. I just need these guys to grow what they do with me every year. That was my goal. So that's what I focused on. It didn't have to be everything in the store because I, even as a homeowner, I won't buy everything from Home Depot. Are you kidding me? Same thing with Lowe's, same thing with Menard, same thing with any of these vendors. It's like, no, they just, they don't all have the right stuff for what I want, what my standards would be. So. Yeah. And, but even, I mean, commission or not, what, what you just said about, I want them to do more with me the next year. Like, like you're just looking at it as a, as a long-term relationship rather than kind of that one moment in time right in front of you. So you, you said, you know, sort of there's the discovery phase and then the, that, I guess you, you could call it implementation or whatever, where you're um, sort of putting all those things into practice. So are you, do you kind of like guide people from start to finish or is it, is it pretty customizable? It depends on, it, it's totally customizable. So it depends on what their goal is. So if they have the internal resources and the time to dedicate to a project, then I'll just give them the list and sometimes there'll be an agreement that if they need help with something, they can call me and I'll, I'll charge them like an hourly fee or whatever. I've had customers just say, Andy, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want my guys dealing with this. I want them to just worry about leasing units and labor. You buy everything. I don't care what it is. Find it. Tell me what it needs to be. Right. And get me the orders and I will write the checks. Like, Okay sure i'll do that and then you know you, you i just had to coordinate with the delivery services and the subcontractors and the whatever but um you know i can be as involved or uninvolved as they they want um there's always a little bit of discomfort from field personnel when i get involved because there's a little bit of well, who's this guy and why is he telling me what to do or who's this guy and he's making me look bad because he's getting all this stuff for different prices and now there's standards and I can't just buy what I want. And so there's always like some change management headaches. There's always some some onboarding stuff, but it's like, no, man, I'm trying to make your life easier. Okay, so I don't want you running around like a chicken with your head cut off, getting yelled at for all of this stuff. If we just simplify everything for you so you don't have to worry about all these different things in your inventory. You don't have to keep track of all of this stuff. We're going to try and find a way to automate it. You don't have to deal with 47 different vendors. We're going to, we're going to cut you down to like 10 vendors and you know, we're going to help you save money. We're going to make you more efficient. We're going to make you look like a freaking hero. Like that's, that's really more the the direction we want the conversation to go, but there's always people who feel threatened by highlighting all of these opportunities. And it's, it's, it is understandable. So I don't go in, and work with like individual property managers, leasing managers, maintenance people, anything like that. Like I have to start at the top of the company because there's no chance I'm going to get through those, those gatekeepers and those guardians at the lower level because it's, right. they, they're always afraid it's going to cost them their job. And like, I've never had a single person involved in this process get canned or had a, a labor reduction or any of that kind of stuff because of, of tuning this up. Like there's been people, there's definitely been people who've been fired, but not from anything that had to do with the actual process. Like I had a leasing manager disappear on a 700 unit complex, like halfway through a project a couple of years ago. And it's like, okay, but it didn't have anything to do with me. So I guess we're good. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't uh, at your hand that, mm -hmm. um, it's, I mean, it's, it's very cool, very fascinating. And, you know, we talked about 
before this recording, and I think it's just a very need, needed service. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears here so we can uh, you know both have both have some Friday away from the desk, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna switch switch gears. I think we'll be talking about it more eventually, but um, switch gears to to sort of the questions I ask every guest. And so yeah. the first one is is um, always it's based on the name of the show being know your why. So so what is your why? What what drives you? What what kind of keeps you going and and looking for um, you know new and higher levels of success? Um so there's a couple of things. One is I came from really kind of a weird background. Both my both my parents were born in the 30s. I'm only in my early 40s. Both my parents were in their 30s. My siblings are all 20 years older than me. Um I have nieces. I have a niece who's 6 years younger than I am. Um and we never really had a lot of money growing up. My dad was a, a, an entrepreneur. He wasn't very good at it. I think we've heard this story before from like a million other people, but my dad was like my inspiration as a kid. He works from home. He does all this cool stuff. He was working for all these big companies like Arm & Hammer and IBM and doing all this neat stuff. And then, you know, as I got older, I figured out, wow, he's really not very like, the more I've done in business, the more I'm like, God, I loved him, but wow, he was not good. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. my perspective doesn't, my perspective comes from working in corporate America and and managing teams and and growing business and and doing all the crazy stuff I've done. And like he was a great guy, but he was not a great salesman. He liked doing what he did, but he didn't he didn't really push for more. And it, it impacted you know my my parents' finances and uh, you know they scrimped and saved to send me to good high school, um, uh, private elementary school. There's Catholic schools for both, but. You know, they're, they're very good schools. Um, if I had known then what I know now about uh, relationship building and networking, I'd probably be further ahead in my career than I am, but I was sort of a lone wolf all through school. I was that dorky ADHD kid that everybody thought was a weirdo. So, you know, it, it definitely impacted me a little bit. I have uh, more hobbies than I can shake a, a stick at just because my ADHD took me from one thing to another, but then the hyper-focus put me into that mode where I wanted to be an expert in it. And it's the same thing with my career. But the nice part about real estate was there was people like me who were just in it and they loved it and they wanted to share what they knew and they wanted to take people under their wing and teach them. And I got lucky. I mean, I, I really did. I have no idea where I would be if I didn't end up in real estate. So, you know, that's, that's that. Um, my why is I just, I like helping people. I like running my mouth, unfortunately, for better or worse. Um, but I like helping people do better and, and, and do more. And I, I realize I'm not the guy to help everybody. That's not why I'm here. Um, but I don't want, you know, my, my now ADHD son who is medicated and doing much better in school than I ever did. Uh, um, fascinating how that I don't want him to end up in the same struggles that I had and not understand why, things are the way they are and why people look at me or, you know, look at him the way they do. If he's, you know, getting late in the day and his medication is wearing off and he's getting crazy, like here, this is, this is why. And you just need to take a breath and take a step back. And here's the, you know, coping mechanisms that work for me. And I hope they work for you, but you're 10. So you're not even listening to what I say <laughs> and we'll get to it later when you're a little older, but I'm going to keep reinforcing it so that you have the tools that I never had. Um, so there, there's a lot of that too, where like, he's already investing in real estate. He has money in self-storage with a buddy of mine in, 
and Mississippi. He's had it there since September of 22. Very smart. And he loves it. He loves when the check shows up every month. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's a simple interest. We're trying to keep him so he doesn't have to file a tax return. So it's like 20 bucks a month that shows up on an interest payment. He's happier than a pig in, you know, yeah. <laughs> every time that check shows up, but it gets him skin in the game. And now he's like, oh, is Scott going to be at the meeting? Can I go? If you want to go to a real estate investors meeting with a bunch of freaking people at a bar, are you kidding me? He's like, no, I want to go. All right, we'll go. Let's go. And I'll leave at eight o'clock and bring him home. <laughs> like it just is awesome. what it is. It's, it's part of it, but I don't want him to have the same roadblocks and the same, I guess, scarcity mindset ideas about money that I had as a kid, because I was constantly like inundated with, Oh, we can't afford that. Or, Oh, we can't do this. Or, Oh, we can't do that. And we don't spoil him. But, you know, we're not beating the fear of of investing and we're not trying to teach him that, you know, he's going to become rich by putting money in his mattress. Like, those are not the lessons that are that are true. But my parents came from the Depression. Like, that was how I was raised, for better or worse. And it took me a long time to get through that. Like, I was a W-2 guy for years making six figures in upstate New York, which is huge money. And I had no idea what to do with it. I was a moron. <laughs> so most of us now are, i know better <laughs> most of us are not born with that knowledge um that's very cool you 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 brought up a lot of different hobbies and it's funny it's sort of a perfect segue into the second question which is um tell us about something about yourself that uh isn't common knowledge special skill hobby something like that maybe you have lots of them but you can pick a pick a couple tell us tell God, us what you enjoy now I don't know. I work on cars. Like I still change my own oil because I'm deathly afraid somebody's going to screw up my car. Like, I don't know. Like there's, there's different things. I, I, I find ways that help me focus. So I guess a good example is like, we have a wood burning stove in the house and we've had it since we bought this place. I had to replace it a few years ago. Got a really nice Pacific energy one. The thing is sweet. It's like 94% efficient. It's sick and it's beautiful, but it takes firewood. So I actually sadly enjoy splitting and stacking my own firewood. And it like, I will come up with more good ideas doing stuff like that, like mowing the lawn, chopping and stacking firewood. My brain never stops like the ADHD thing. Your brain's always going. It doesn't matter whether you're medicated or not. It just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And there's always ideas. And I, I carry a little, of course it's not here. It's in my truck, but I carry a little, oh no, it is right here. Ha ha. I carry a little leather book. And when I have good ideas for stuff for business or whatever, I'll write it down and I will just like be working away and I'll be like, oh crap, that's a really good idea for a podcast topic or, oh crap, that's a really good idea for a blog entry or, you know, oh, I got to do this and this and this. And it'll, it'll just let me brain dump, but I can work through that stuff when I'm just doing mindless physical labor, like chopping firewoods, a no brainer, stacking firewoods, a no brainer, mowing the lawn is a no brainer, but it, it gives me time away from everything else to focus and, and just get through it. So those are like, everybody's like, Oh, what is your time worth? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I did a podcast on that. So I'm sorry. Okay. I'm very disappointed in myself. It is what it is. But for me, it's worth the time because some of my best ideas and, and my best motivations come from when I'm just alone, just grinding away on physical activity. And some people do, you know, they do the running thing or they do the treadmill or they, you know, stair climbers or whatever. And that, and that gets them into that same kind of, of zone for me, it's just getting something that accomplishes something that needs to be done around the house that I can just zone out. And then hobbies, like I used to play video games and stuff. I don't really have time anymore. 
Um, I love hardware. So like every few years I'll get an itch to like upgrade a computer or something. I'll build it from scratch. Like I'll, okay. I'll buy the motherboards and the RAM and the processors and I'll, all the super high-end weird cooling implements and massive cases and I'll slap it all together and test it and, you know, knock on wood. I've never had one not work first time through. Uh, um, so uh, so there's that, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fits and starts thing. Like I don't keep up on it until I'm ready to build a new one. And then I do the hyper focus thing and I research deeply and I spend the ridiculous amount of money to put it together. And then I don't think about it again for seven years until it starts bothering me. Something goes wrong with it. It gets slow. It's outdated. Like it would be different if I played games. It's, it's like I record my podcasts on OBS and crunch it in adobe and that's as much work as this thing gets but it could play whatever you want if you had time to play games right right it's there for you if you need it which that's, that's correct the key. right it's the right. option it's there. is there <laughs> yeah um no I, I mean i think that the point about i do there is a lot about you know people talk about you know what's your time worth you shouldn't go grocery shopping you shouldn't chop wood whatever it is like it's like if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're you're perfor- high high level um you shouldn't do those things but i think that, that there's a there is something to be said for finding something where your your mind can quiet itself a little bit and it's like oftentimes like you said you're going to have good ideas you might think more clearly than when you're in sort of work mode which means i got to get this 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 done like so many things and and you're just having you're thinking about so many things that that taking that activity and and i I actually really enjoy chopping wood as well, but um, I live in LA and the city, so it's not really, <laughs> it's really not, not very what applicable, but for. it is, it is, it is a fun, uh, but, but I, but like, for me, that's what the gym is, right? Like, that's what, that's what exercise is, is like a time to go and let my body take over a little bit i guess maybe i don't know what the yeah. best way to put it is, but just you know get some it's like if you work your body hard enough then probably your mind can't be doing all the things that it does when you're sitting at a desk or whatever right so right. it's like if, if you can take that focus and put it somewhere else it helps you it helps you just calm down a little bit i think and, and settle um so I, I i completely understand what, what you mean by you know when you're saying that um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Um, check out my website. It's just andymcquade.com, M-C-Q-U-A-D-E. It's really easy. Um, all one word, no hyphens, no dashes, no nothing. Um, it used to be a really crappy blog site. And then I decided it would be cool to write a book. And then somebody was like, well, if you're going to write a book, you have to have like a, an author page with an about me. And then it sort of turned into a oh, well, here's all of the other things that people have asked me to do that's not the TCO method. Like the TCO method's on there and it's it's kind of like a primary thing, but now it's like all this other consulting that I do that has nothing to do with real estate in some cases and some of it does and some of it's coaching. And like a month ago, I had a buddy that I've known for years just reach out and be like, hey, um, do you do coaching? I'm like, what? No. He's like, would you be willing to? I'm like... I don't know, maybe. <laughs> sure. So I've like figured that out. Like, so like I called my attorney and I'm like, what do I need to do to switch this up? And then I called my insurance company. I'm like, am I covered if I coach somebody on something? Because like, I know I've got like management consulting stuff, but I do all this project management stuff and all this weird procurement, 
building materials stuff. So my, my insurance policy is so weird. I had to shop it. Nobody in New York carried it. It's like half from Ohio and half from California. It's the dumbest thing, but it's because my, what I do is so odd. And they're like, oh yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And like, if you decide to, you know, actually like get the book published, then we're going to have to talk about a different policy for that. <laughs> All right, fine. That's, that's great. But as long as I'm good for now, I can like do this. And so I'd like, I started a mastermind locally. It's hopefully I'll have like four or five guys. I've got about three lined up now, plus myself. And it's just like, it's nothing big. It's just accountability. And I need it because I'm the ADHD guy. So like, I need goals. I need deadlines. I need things set for me. Everything has to be in my calendar or it doesn't happen. Like it, I need, I need that like follow-up accountability. I'll be like, I'll do it later. It's a procrastination thing. And I know it. And I know it's a weakness, so it's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm, you know, it, it won't really cost anything. It's just going to pay for the cool restaurants we go to and the food we eat and whatever. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's awesome. Andy, final question for you. Um, and it, I, I'll let, you're, you're certainly a unique guest in, in what you do. Um, so typically I tell people, ask people, what, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get started in real estate? But sometimes I'll just put a little bit of a spin on that. And, and just the question can be, you know, get started in whatever, you know, in business, uh, you can use real estate if you want, but, you know, sort of encouraging someone to see that, that here's your story and sort of inspired and thinks, you know, this guy's doing some cool stuff. Like, like what, where would you tell them to start? Um, honestly, for, for real estate and I'll, I'll tackle that one first. I do a lot with the local real estate investors organization. Like we just turned over the entire old board, put an all new board, put in all new officers. The old board had been doing it for almost 12 years and they were burned out. COVID hit. They were all retirement age. They didn't want to deal with the zoom and the technology. I stepped in. I was like, I will help you guys run this. Like I just launched my own business. I just lost a $40,000 job in Chicago that I can't go to now because I can't get on a plane. So let's figure this out and I'll, I'll work for you guys for like nothing and we'll just get this thing up and running and, and do it. And so the TCO method idea actually came because I'm doing all this consulting for these big, big property management firms and I have nothing for the RIA, but I've been going to that RIA since I was a Home Depot guy as the rep for national RIA and, and Home Depot's relationship. So it was like, Kind of a no-brainer to 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 help them out. And now that there's like a whole new crowd, they're all under 40, they're all full-time investors, they're all like in the game and they're they're busy trying to expand their 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 reach and their business. The networking and the and the value that's added, like get to a real estate networking event every single week and just learn and get ideas and hang out with people who are in it, you know, full-time trying to make a living, not really dealing with the excuses and stuff. Like they're dedicated to to doing it right. And it's a nonprofit Rio, so I'll, I'll qualify that. Nobody's there trying to become a millionaire and, and sell $40,000 courses for himself. Like, that's not this particular group. Like, I don't like those groups. They drive me nuts personally. Um, but if you run one and you're listening to this, more power to you, buddy. Love it. Um, <laughs> um, but no, no uh, just a little disclaimer under that. Sorry, yeah. gurus. Sorry. <laughs> Pretty much. Um but no, seriously, get out and network, do, do what you need to do. Like for me, I had some bad bosses in my, in my tenure, like not so much on the 84 lumber side, because I was probably too dumb of a kid to realize good boss versus bad boss. Other than like, you know, these people really helped me and mentored me and those were good bosses. And then the other people were just sort of there, um, had some bad bosses that wanted to fire me at depot. Um, 
And some of them came to me and apologized to me afterwards, uh, after I was like, you know, number eight in a company and crushing everything for three years straight. But um, they got me reading and branching out to doing consulting. So like I bought my first consulting book in like 2011. And I started being like, oh, I could probably do something like that. I wonder what it would be. And I, I fall back on all my background. And originally, I wanted to consult and sell services to vendors doing, you know, warranty claim examinations and, and traveling around taking care of problems for them. And I'm like, that's a terrible job. Why would I do that? But, you know, that's in hindsight. Like when I was in 2011, I was like, it could be really cool. That would be a really good idea. Um, probably a moneymaker. But now... I'm a little bit further along and I've been doing this for four years and so I'm starting to branch out into things that will, will bring me passive income and I don't just have to work to make my money. Like I'm not a cheap date, but I don't want to have to constantly do everything myself and just keep grinding through it. But I'm the weirdo that's got all this knowledge and, and how do I monetize that? And then the RIA, actually, one of the people at the RIA was like, have you gotten one single sale from your vendor membership here? I'm like, no, not one. He's like, dude, you've been here for like 10 years. That's like $4,000. I'm like, well, some of that was Home Depot, so that doesn't count. But, <laughs> but um, he's like, well, how do we get you anything? I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. And that's really where the TCO method came from. I was like, I'm taking all of these things and combining them. And I have all these frameworks and stuff. Yeah, I should write a book. And maybe I should like teach courses or something. I don't know. Like, it's, it's useful information. Maybe I can pass it on to the smaller guy who can't afford to bring me in and pay me $5,000 a month to help them with their operation. You know what I mean? Like maybe this is, maybe there's potential there for me to just monetize something and, and sell one-off consulting services that don't involve a 14 page contract or, you know, an additionally insured certificate and all this other craziness that goes into what I do when I run my business. Like my, my, literally my, my MSA is, is 14 pages plus the scope of work. Like it's stupid but it's got everything in it that covers my butt and the customer's butt and confidentiality and like all the, all the stuff that has to go in when you're literally in people's books at the sea level across multiple people competing with each other. Like there's no good way to do that without a crazy contract, at least in New York. Yeah. No, so that, that makes sense. I think that's a, you're getting, you're getting um, high level access to sensitive information. So yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of, um important legal pieces to to make sure that that is kept confidential mm -hmm. for better or worse nothing's ever gone wrong yet so i guess that's good 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 uh well andy th this is awesome um thanks for coming on the show and you know sharing sharing your story sharing what you do i think like i said it's it's uh incredibly valuable you know to to operators and and you know anyone really looking to maximize, you know, what's going on at their, with their assets. I think um, it makes a lot of sense to have that, have you as a, as a consultant and, and sort of use your services. So thank you for coming on and, and sharing that with us. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you asking me. It's uh, it's fun. I, I, I like, I like the program and I love like the Simon Sinek, you know, at, you know, why books, like that was one yeah. of my first, like when he first started coming out and I was, just getting ready to leave Home Depot is like, oh, this is really good stuff. Too bad it doesn't apply when, you know, the motto is, what have you done for me recently? But I, I like where this is going. And then like Leaders Eat Last came out and I was like, oh, this is good stuff. I gotta, like, I gotta get better at this because I don't, I don't know that I've ever dug it, you know, dug this deep. So I saw, I think I saw your podcast on LinkedIn, um, maybe six months before we, we made contact, before you reached out to me. And I was like, this guy's actually, he's, he's doing good stuff. I like it. 
So I'm, I'm happy. I enjoy it. I think I, it's, it's just fun for me, right? Just get to hear what, you know, when I started listening, before I started this podcast, listening to other people's podcasts, it was always the part that resonated with me the most. Cause you can only, you can only talk about, you know, acquisitions so much. You can only talk right. about capital raising so much. You can only like all that stuff's important and they're, they're very, very valuable skill sets. But like at the end of the day, you're going to hit hard days and you need something that keeps you going. And to me, that was always when, when people would tell their story on podcasts, like that's where I would perk up. And I was like, okay, that's what, yeah. that's what I, that's what I need to, you know, sort of hone in on here. So I appreciate, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you Absolutely. very much. Thank you. It's and uh, folks, folks listening, um, I know you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. Please um, like, rate, and review. That gets us more great episodes or more great guests like Andy. Thank you very much. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.